0: I'm Harry. I'm Nash, and this week we're going all the way from the twelfth to the eighteenth of February. And this week it's quite a big week because it's a royal
1: week. It is actually. a royal week.
0: It's a huge one, isn't
1: it? I mean, we g- spoke about the Queen last week, but this week Yeah, we just we just she was like a footnote on yeah, the episode. We, we we glazed over her like a Krispy Kreme. Actually, you know,
0: you know what? Actually Elizabeth she's a record breaker in the sense she that she's the longest reigning monarch of you know the United Kingdom. Well you've got you've got a record breaker and I've got a record breaker as well. well yeah we do. So, so who are you speaking about? I'm speaking about the last emperor
1: of China. Okay, that's more impressive than mine, like, <laughs> quite frankly. Mine was a pharaoh, but not one of the good ones. Well, he was, the, he was probably the most famous one. Yeah, but not because of what he did in his life. It's because of his death okay, and so what happened we, after. What, King Tut. King Tut. King Tut. King Tut. Uh, the discovery of King Tut, rather. Um, and that's what we're speaking about this week in history. Let's do it.
0: So do me a favour, Harry. If you I'll will, try. be so
1: kind. I will be that Just kind.
0: Think of yourself at Already two am. years. Already <laughs> am. Uh, yeah, at
1: two years old. At two years old. Think of yourself at two years old. Okay. I mean, think about it. what were your concerns, what were your interests, what I could fit in my mouth, whether it was cat poo, cockroaches, or edible
0: food. Well, that's pretty on point, I'd say. So yeah. for most of us, it was a simpler time. For you, a very simple time. <laughs> I was <laughs> where, a real dumb kid. Where once, oh, wow! No, you, your thoughts didn't really amount to much more than like, "Where's mum?" I'm hungry. I put my pants. I just shat
1: myself. Someone clean this up. Whereas now they won't do that. Uh, Anyway,
0: yeah, it's very (laughs) simple. So naturally, you wouldn't have given much thought to matters of national security, economic growth, or systems of government.
1: (laughs) I think I know where this is going, and it doesn't sound good. No.
0: Okay. Well, in a strange turn of events, on November 14, 1908, deep within the Forbidden City of Beijing, a little boy, just two years and ten months old, sat on the golden throne. As the emperor of China. Wow,
1: that is a lot of pressure for a two year old. Yeah. Oh, two years and 10 months, come on. I I think as 24 year olds, I don't even think we'd be able to sit on an emperor's chair and actually do anything that's worthwhile. Certainly not. Certainly. I'm struggling even just to sit up straight right now. Oh, don't even look at my
0: posture. (laughs) It's disgraceful. (laughs) So this little boy, his name was Piu Yi, and he would become the last emperor of China on the 12th of February, which is our date in history
1: this week. Now. But what year? Oh, 1912. Oh. Wait, so it only ranged for four years? Yeah. So, Oh my God, I'm just so excited for this. So a six-year-old not, abdicates there, the emperor's there is so much
0: to unpack. Okay, unpack so, it for me. Interestingly, as it turns out, it's not that uncommon for infants to take the throne in China. <laughs> it's not so, useful,
1: but it's not uncommon.
0: Yeah, so the fact is that the previous two emperors both took the throne before they were six years old. What was unique about Puyi is that he was going to be the
1: last emperor of China? Can I just ask though, were their parents killed, or they like assassinations, or oh, we'll get to that? Okay, we'll to that. I'm
0: jumping we'll the that. gun. I'm sorry. So let's take a look. The 20th century was particularly uh, revolutionary for China because. Became they became not one, but two <laughs> revolutions. Yeah. So the communist one, you mentioned, that's the more famous one that people yeah. know about. Mao Zedong, of course, he proclaimed the People's Republic of China guy. He in killed 19-1949. like 76
1: million people, more
0: probably. Before that, there was the revolution of 1911, right, which is where
1: this is our revolution that this we're is, speaking we'll about. We'll be coming back to that. But oh, before okay.
0: any of those revolutions, China existed under imperial rule for over 2,000 years. Wow.
1: That's a lot of emperors in that time.
0: Yeah, it is indeed. So Chinese history is actually broken up into periods of time called dynasties. Now, not all dynasties are created equal. Some. Do you mean dynasties? Dynasties, dynasties. Vase, vase, vase potato, potato. Yeah, potato, potato. Fair I call.
1: <laughs> I call it a, a dynasty. Dynasty, dynasty. I reckon it's dynasty. Anyway. Anyway, so.
0: It's broken up into dynasties. And so some dynasties, uh, they last for hundreds of years, others only 15. There were periods where multiple dynasties coexisted. There were times that no one was really in charge, just a bunch of warring groups running around, but you call it a dynasty anyway for ease. What is a dynasty? A dynasty broadly is essentially a period of time where a particular family or bloodline are in control. Okay, cool. Okay? It's like so, your family's on the throne. Yeah, so the first real dynasty was the Shang dynasty, which began back in 1600 BCE. And I say the first real because... Whoa. Yeah. That is a long... I thought you were going to say like in modern no, history. No, no. BCE. 1600 Jeez. BCE was the Shang Dynasty. The, the dinosaurs
1: or no dinosaurs? Probably no dinosaurs. <laughs> well, Fair depends call. who you
0: ask. <laughs> um, the Qing Dynasty... I'm going to say dynasty now. You've put it in my head. The Sorry. Qing Dynasty <laughs> was the last... And the Qings were of an ethnic minority called the Manchus from China's northeast. Sorry, the Manchus? The Manchus, yeah. Right. So they essentially rallied together and drove out the previous rulers, the Mings from the Ming dynasty, right? I and heard they, of them. Yeah, heard of them. Heard of them. Yeah, the Vases. Yeah. The vases. The vases yep heard this of the vases right. in
1: the dynasties they did a uh, lot more
0: than that let's just say that as well okay uh, you the hope so. they were making vases for so. hundreds of years <laughs>
1: yeah. they were good at it though they were so very the good Qing's
0: at it. they proclaimed their own dynasty at the beginning of 1644 okay okay so you fast forward 217 years to 1856 and a guy called Xianfeng you pronounce it
1: better than I would have. So yeah, I'll give you that. I'm, I'm much. really sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> just <he's... laughs> pretend that Nash said it right and we'll, we'll just move on with that. Zhang Feng, I think. Let's call him Fang. Let's just call him Fang.
0: Okay. Zhang Feng, he's the emperor of China. One of the many perks of being the emperor is that you're instantly a hit with the ladies, instantly mostly because it's their job right
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, the dream becoming emperor so you're a hit with the ladies if that's yeah. what you need to be a hit with the ladies then you're doing nothing right you're yeah. doing all the things wrong, guys if you're struggling out
0: there you can't get a date just you know become, become the emperor, an emperor become a god amongst China.
1: men. so pretty much like
0: every male emperor he had concubines and consorts right
1: mm, so, of course everyone of has course. concubines um, and consorts if you're an
0: emperor uh, yeah,
1: I don't know what either of them are. But only one would provide him with a son, all right? So concubines and, and consorts are essentially people you have sex with and then people that will bear your child. Pretty much. Cool. Just well, want to clarify okay, that. So, I
0: mean, like a, a concubines and consorts, they'll bear children for emperors. but right. They won't necessarily be an empress. Okay. Necessarily. Okay. But there is one who will become an empress from Xifang. She bears his son and her name is Zer Shi. Right? right? Now Xer Xi was no average woman. She was she, she pretty much ran China as the Empress Dowager, which means that she's either the mother of an empress or she is the widow of an empress. Right. Um she ran as she ran China as Empress Dowager and Regent for the better part of forty years. Why, because right? her husband died. Well, yes, exactly. So her, her the emperor husband died, Zai Fang in eighteen sixty one. Xershi's five year old son, Chong Yeah. I'm so sorry, everybody. He becomes emperor. So he's emperor number two. Emperor, number two in this, in this sort of chronology. Yeah, yeah. From, from so, where,
1: where it's important for us, yeah. essentially.
0: So then he dies in 1875. And Zershi so she arranges to adopt her nephew, who goes on to become the Gyanju right emperor at
1: the ripe old age of three, right? Jeez. Okay, so you've got a five-year-old as emperor number two. He's yep. dead. Mm-hmm. A three-year-old as emperor number three. Mm. Still alive? Still alive for now. Okay.
0: But who's calling the shots here? The, the While the little emperors are running around the Forbidden Palace, yeah, Sersi, right? She's a master manipulator. So in 1898, after a shocking defeat to the Japanese in 1859 in a war to essentially exert influence over Korea, the Gunju Emperor, right, Emperor Number Three in this story, yeah, the guy baby who became boy. emperor at, at five years old, right? He's an he's adult now, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> you'd hope so. <laughs> you'd hope that's in how age he and some other folks start to think, maybe we need to change things up around here after the shocking defeat to the Japanese. Mm. Guanju enacts these 100 days of reform in 1898. It's an attempt to modernise Chinese society by adopting a ton of Western practices and technology. Because up until this point, it had been thousands of years of imperial rule. Yeah. Right? Very traditional society. I assume it would have been working for most of it. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have continued. Well, yeah. I mean, look, here's the interesting thing. As is the case, whenever there is a status quo, there are always people benefiting from that status quo. Think of apartheid last week, right? Yeah, of course. And these people who are benefiting from the status quo would just like things to remain the way they are, thank you very much very much uh-huh. we would really appreciate if you, you did not mess it up for us yeah, okay <laughs> so in this case these people all got together behind Xershi and she enacted a coup
1: right. she took power from Guanju, and kind of makes sense like she did nurture this boy and like help him to become the emperor he was well yeah well, she well, wants the power this, back like,
0: this, this placated emperor the whole time but yeah, she like essentially put him under house arrest and
1: then she's like, all right, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Take two. She is a badass woman. Yeah. She's killing it.
0: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it was working good for her. Yeah, it was working great <laughs> for her. I don't know about the rest of the country, her. but she was doing a great job for herself. Yeah, she definitely was. So about mm-hmm. 10 years later in 1908, the Guangzhou Emperor... He's in his mid-30s, and he's without a child. Oh, right? Things are not looking good. No, but especially when he mysteriously falls ill with symptoms similar to those you'd expect from cyanide poisoning. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah. Now, based on what we already know and what happens next, a cynical person might think that Xershi kind of knew Ranju was going to fall ill. Right? I mean, this pattern of installing and controlling child emperors has worked out pretty well for her so yeah, far. Very right? well. Especially when it comes to consolidating her power. So, Ganju is in ill health. Xershi decrees that her nephew's son, ganju Emperor's brother's son, essentially, right? Yeah. Little Puyi. He's going to become
1: the new emperor. He's going to four. be next in line. Yeah. Number four for this story. One of her nephews, the emperor number three, is now sick. She wants emperor number four to step in and to control China.
0: Yeah, so she's like exerting her influence pretty strongly here. She's Yeah, like, a little bit. She's sticking to her pattern. So little Puyi, he's plucked from his family and taken to the Forbidden City. The day after he arrives, his uncle, the emperor Guangzhou, he dies. And oh. then Puyi... He's installed as the emperor, right? Mm. At two years old and, and ten months, right? So this is November so of basically, uh,
1: 1908. Basically, the empress is now in charge again.
0: Well, in a strange turn of events, she dies the very next day. What? what? Yeah. Assassinated? Surely. Well, there's a, there's a little speculation.
1: Well, so what happens to her?
0: Well, she was also very old. She was 73 years old. Okay, fair. And that's that's pretty old for like, you know, the 1900s. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, the 1900s, for like the end of the 19th century, I should right. say. So China's left with a two-year-old <laughs> in, in <laughs> on charge. the throne and no real leader to carry the empire
1: forward. Yeah, it's, a, it's... Wow, we have similar themes in both our topics today. Yeah. So the thing is, whilst all that was going on, working out real well for
0: Xerxes to sort of consolidate her power, China was really suffering, right? The power of the dynasty was diminishing and they were getting sort of they're getting flanked on all sides by western powers who wanted yeah. to come in and you know like essentially take their resources and get them addicted to opium and all the <laughs> stuff like that
1: all the good things that westernization does
0: yeah build railroads and all that <laughs> industry oh yes so, <laughs> the country at this point is ripe for revolution okay so there was this dude his name was Sun Yat sen And he's widely acknowledged as the founder of the nation of China, right? Okay. He was unique for a whole range of reasons. Like he was a Christian and he studied overseas in Hawaii. But most importantly, he's a Republican and a revolutionary. Okay. So from the time of that conflict that China lost to Japan, he was organizing rebellions to overthrow the Qing dynasty. And they all failed. Right, and he got exiled from China. He went to Japan, but that didn't really matter because he wasn't alone. While he was exiled from China, he was gathering support for the Republican cause, and much of this support came from the military. That helps. That helps for a coup. So the revolution that changed the country got kicked off kind of by accident when a bomb went off by mistake that revolutionaries were building in this uh, region called Wei Chang. Okay. Wu-Chang
1: oh, Wu-Tang Clan sorry, sorry. it's
0: W-U-C-H-A-N-G if you want to Google that guys <laughs> so this bomb goes off by mistake in 1911 the funny thing was that a lot of these people who were part of the rebellion were obviously in the military and rather than get arrested they revolted and they took over Right, and that rebellion spread across China you fast forward to our day in history this is a big fast forward everybody to February 12, uh, 1912 Essentially, the Qing Dynasty is left with no other choice but for it to end, and it's not. It's, and, and, and little Puyi isn't
1: even able to be the one to abdicate for
0: himself because he's only six years old at yeah, the fair. time.
1: When you think about it, an entire military or a lot of military and a lot of ground support against a two-year-old, not really a fair fight, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're actually going to go from one child king or emperor to another mm. child just after being a child. He's actually 19, so he's not quite a kid. And this is King Tut. <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but when I was 19, I was definitely, definitely still a kid. Yeah, I was still an idiot, I reckon. Yeah, some of the most, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to go to all back to that time. But we are <laughs> going to go to the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. Right. So it's 1900. When you picture this you're in the valley of the kings in egypt there's you know been a lot of discoveries many many years ago sorry the valley of the kings is that like a sandy region i don't know what's it look like what do, what do you think I in no egypt idea. it's a sandy region okay it's where the tombs of the kings are that's why it's called the valley of the Kings. okay okay right and they've found over 62 different tombs there and they, they thought they'd found them all except there was one king missing the 12th king rather the 12th pharaoh In the eighteenth Pharaoh dynasty, that is King Tutankhamun. Who we're gonna call King Tut, because (laughs) Tutankhamun every time. Yeah. Just gonna save a couple of you know, a couple of minutes from the podcast.
0: Yeah, I think we've sort of added the back on by explaining what we're gonna do to save time, but here we are.
1: Oh well, it doesn't matter. But he is a young pharaoh, the twelfth pharaoh of his dynasty, who dies at the age of nineteen. And his tomb is has never been found. They have found 62 other tombs of different pharaohs in this valley of the king. And yet, no king cut.
0: Well, I mean, if he was a, such a young, insignificant king, who cares? Why do we even want to find the tomb of this pharaoh? Why is it such a big deal?
1: Well, just because they wanted to find the king. They didn't realize what they would find in this tomb. So then enters Howard Carter. Howard Carter. Never heard of him? Great man. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of him. Have never you? heard of him. So he's an English archaeologist, right? Mm -hmm. That was a huge fan of archaeology in 1891, actually, at the age of 17. I should hope so. it's a fan it's like they're just like brushing away
0: dust man I hate this (laughs) this is hot this sucks
1: there probably would be quite a few people that would have been in the profession against their will I mean you don't always go in the profession you want to okay Nash yeah okay I'm not speaking from personal experience and this is a deeply rooted problem within myself anyway 1891 he goes to Egypt at the ripe age of 17 nearly the same age as the dead king Tut Mm. and he's doing bits and bobs of different archaeological work. And then in 1907, he's hired by a wealthy English aristocrat called Lord Carnarvon. Now, Lord Carnarvon, he's a rich man. He's very very rich. Everyone knows he's rich. He's a very rich man. And he does... (laughs) Carnarvon. Carnarvon. Everyone knows him. And he he does a lot of excavations and he gets um, Carter to work for him. Anyway, in 1914, Lord Carnarvon, he wins the license. He gets the license to dig supposedly in the site of where King Tut's tomb is meant to be.
0: Oh, so they had to compete for the right to actually dig there in the
1: first place? Well, no one was really sure. So everyone was just trying to dig around. And he essentially bought the license for the area where okay. it was meant to be. One of the speculated places. Yeah. And he goes, you know what, Carter? Find me a king. Let's do it. <laughs> Make me even more rich. Yeah. So, Carnarvon gives the job to Howard Carter.
0: But why does he give it to Carter? Is Carter just... He's got this reputation of being an well, incredible archaeologist or is he ex-
1: expendable or what? Working for him for seven years. Oh, he's, okay. He's good so at he's built his trust. He's, yeah, you know, okay. he's nearly on long service leave. He's about to take a vacay, you know, over to, <laughs> I don't know, it's Morocco. Like, it's
0: like your classic sort of um, heist movie, one last job. Yeah. You know? well, like
1: <laughs> you know what? We'll get to it. But it was very much along those lines. So it's yeah. 1914 and... Um, Lord Carvin gives a license to Howard Carter but then World War One breaks out so we're not going to excavate while a war is happening you know no. we've got more important things to do yeah well it'd so, be pretty good digging trenches <laughs> oh yeah yeah I think I think the spade that he uses would probably be a little bit smaller than the one used to dig trenches but uh anyway we're fast forwarding a little bit to the end of the war Lord Carvin's like okay war's done let's get back to what you're meant to be doing mm. find me a king okay so he starts digging and he digs for several years to no avail he's mm. not found an. he's found some trinkets maybe a gold you know uh, gold coin or s- little small things that tell him hey he's probably in the right area little tantalizing tidbits that make you think you're on the right trail but yeah it's and then not just, the whole hog close you know, but no cigar the exactly. whole time there's so, no tomb Carter there's no tomb Okay. And so in 1922, Lord Carnarvon, he goes, I'm, I'm getting a bit impatient. I'm not happy with what you're doing. I want you to have one last dig. You got one more season and then you're out <laughs> of here. One yeah. last job. Yeah, he was English, yeah. so it'd probably be one last job. I don't know. That was a shit English accent. I don't even know. Maybe that was like B- Bulgarian. I don't know no, what accent okay. that was. Anyway, he says, this is your last shot. So as you can expect... Carter's getting a bit nervous. He hasn't found it. He's not even close. There is nothing to tell him that he will find this tomb. So essentially, he's got the whole desert in front of him and he needs to find this king or he's, he's, he's toast. He's yes. bust. And I don't know if you know much about Egypt, but it's it's a lot of desert. Lot, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. We're going to November 4th, 1922. And there's a water boy. He's just walking around. He starts to have a bit of a dig with star- in the sand. And this is supposedly the story. He's digging the de- sand with a stick. He finds a stone step. He's like, what the hell is a stone step doing here in the middle of the desert? Carter, come over here. Carter starts digging. They find the entrance to the tomb of Tutankhamun. Literally, on the last job, on the 4th of November, 1922, they find it on... The 26th of November 1922, they enter the tomb, Mm -hmm. a tomb that has been untouched for over 2,000 years. Keep in mind, King Tut ruled from 1332 BCE to 1323 BCE, right? This is many thousands of years ago. So this has been untouched since then. Yeah. And they enter the tomb and they are shocked because this tomb is in immaculate condition. It is it's near pristine. Yeah. And yeah. in there, this is where it gets really important. They find insights into what the world was like in the in the reign of Tutankhamun. They find out everything about Tutankhamun. Is that what's so unique about this discovery? Is the fact that it's the best preserved. They just know so much about yeah. him because it is so preserved. Everything is immaculate, essentially. So despite the fact that he was perhaps the least He's, let's just say for argument's sake he's one of the, the least important pharaohs in the grand I mean, scheme of things he's probably important but he's not, he's not like a Ramses you know he's not <laughs> a yeah, okay. he's King Tut like he died at the age of 19 the only reason he's famous is because of his tomb mm. anyway the search begins they go through the caves and then on our date in history February 16, 1923 Carter opens the innermost t- chamber lifts the lid and finds the pristine preserved body of King Tut and he bites him on the neck. No, he's he turns not alive. Into a it's, zombie. It's not the Brendan Fraser movie or the Tom no? Cruise remake. Oh, God, know why they did that. <laughs> but they find the tomb of King Tut, and this is huge because they've found the insight so much about this king that they knew nothing about. And also, it's been it's been a tomb they haven't been able to find for many many years. And after that point, they don't find another king. They still haven't. They found other tombs. In 2005, they found some more some more tombs, but not of a king. Not of oh, King wow. so, Tut. So King Tut was the last discovery, essentially. Yeah, I mean, in well, 2005, the last there was a big discovery of tombs, but it wasn't of a king. And it wasn't in such good condition as King as King Tut. Oh, cool. But there is one king that is left. And that's a late... Elvis. Ramside. No. Not Elvis. Is <laughs> he Michael. even alive then? No. No, yes, no, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. Michael Jackson also not Not, left. Not alive. (laughs) Not alive. But one late Ramesside Pharaoh's tomb, Ramses eight, still undiscovered. And people believe it's still in the valley. So Nash, I haven't told you this before the show, but, uh... We're going to Egypt, and we're going to find Ramses Number Eight. Boom! It's been nearly a hundred years since the finding of King Tut. Nash and Harry, Harry and Nash, before you were born, are going to find Ramses Number Eight, the last king in the king of valleys. How are you feeling? Um. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Look. Have we do some fast facts, and then I'll uh, I'll sleep on it. <laughs> okay,
1: <laughs> that sounds good. But that is that is the finding of the other king in our, in our dynasty story today of King Tut yeah 100% time for some fast facts
0: alright it's time for some fast facts but not really
1: it's, it's not really time for fast facts no because... well it's time for a special edition of fast facts yeah it's different uh, so what we're going to do mm. is we're actually going to have a special guest with us to go through the fast facts. So it's not just our lovely tones, it's also our special guest, Jeeves Verma. Jeeves, welcome.
2: Hi, how's it going? Good Glad to be here. Yeah, good.
1: <laughs> we're going quite well. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. So Jeeves, you're our, you're our first special guest. How does it feel to be a, the, the first in something?
2: I'm um, just... Stoked. <laughs> I'm stoked to be here.
1: Just happy to be here. Yeah. Lost for words.
0: Uh, this It's just so overwhelming, the emotions. Yeah. Um, so essentially, Jeeves, the way this, this segment's going to work is that we... Go through events that happened this week in history. We touch on them lightly, but we thought maybe we can play a bit of a game this time. What we'll do is we'll tell you some things that happened this week in history, mm-hmm. and you need to place them in chronological order. It's only three things, okay? So, but you have to place them in chronological
2: Could, order because my brain can only handle four things at a time. So, <laughs> okay,
1: okay, <laughs> so we're just under the limit. Ah, oh,
2: perfect, perfect. So, Harry, what are the events? Okay, so we're going to start
1: off on Feb 14. Captain Cook is killed. Staying on that day, Feb 14, our number two is The Discovery of Penicillin. Mm -hmm. And uh, number three on Feb 15 Mm -hmm. is Cinderella's premiere, the cartoon, not the live action, if there's a live action.
2: Okay. And I have to put this in chronological order. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let me just talk through this. So Captain Cook, if I'm not incorrect, he died in Hawaii. He was murdered, was he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. By the Hawaiian locals.
2: Locals. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, the penicillin one was, okay, was this when it was accidentally invented? The, uh, the, Louis Pasteur, was it? Oh, ah, ah, I know who it was. Mr. Penicillin, probably. (laughs) Mr.
0: Penicillin. Captain Penicillin. Pasteur was the guy with the peas in the pod, wasn't it? The Pasteur, the guy who essentially worked out genetics. Oh, no, pasteurizing. I take that back. Yeah, Yeah. pasteur pasteurizing. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Louis Pasteur sounds like a French name, and I know it was a French monk who discovered essentially how genetics works by crossbreeding peas. Which
2: I think is impressive.
0: Yeah. Considering
2: how they don't have access to technology.
1: Uh, But also has nothing to do with penicillin, really. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So thank you
2: for bringing us back, Harry. (laughs) That clue was Mm. not a clue at all. Okay, okay, Uh, okay. um, okay, Captain Cook. I know he went to Hawaii after he um, left Australia and New yeah. Zealand. Yes. So that was seventeen hundreds. Maybe. Okay. Cool. Okay. I reckon penicillin came after that. Oh wait, and what was it? Cinderella. Cinderella, as in the Disney
1: Disney film premiere premiere
2: which i think was the 1930s possibly so maybe
1: maybe it's possible it's possible it's
2: very possible okay i'm going to lock something in ready okay your first I'm selection so okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay captain cook so you're saying that the first event that happened this week was captain cook's death i think so okay cool all right what's next what followed captain cook's death chronologically was it the discovery of penicillin or the release of cinderella
2: I'm going to have to say the discovery of penicillin because I reckon the animators of Cinderella were all hopped up on <laughs> antibiotics, you know, being in small rooms together. Breeding ground for germs, I think.
0: So you're saying that the only way it was possible for them to complete Cinderella I think, is that if they had antibiotics so that they could get through it. I think it's it. the
2: only way to complete any... Uh, long form animation feature.
0: Oh, any sort of like interaction with more than two people. I mean, yes. we need a little booster before we finish this Absolutely. interview. Today. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so, um, yeah, so locking in penicillin next and then Cinderella.
1: Okay, so the first date was 1779. Oh,
2: wait. Oh, okay, go on. Hang on. And that was Captain Cook's death. <sighs> oh, thank God.
1: One from one. Come nice. on, sweat away now. Nice, uh, nice, done. 1929. Oh, dear God. Sir Alexander Fleming.
2: Ah, Fleming! He discovered
1: penicillin. Accidentally, of course. He also
2: wrote James Bond. (laughs) Is it the same? My bad. I could be confusing him with Ian Fleming. You are. I think
1: they might be sisters, actually. I think you'll find. And then in 1950, Cinderella premiered by none other than the Brothers Grimm.
2: Oh, oh, really? Yeah. It was not a. Walt, no, it Disney. was Walt Disney,
1: but originally written by Brothers oh, Grimm. Yeah, very good. Yeah, so so what
2: you're, what you're trying to say is that was entirely correct.
1: You you got three out of three, hey. which is not how I expected this to go down <laughs> at all.
0: Largely, I <laughs> think that comes from the fact that we told it to you in chronological order. Hey,
2: you don't know that that was actually That was the trick. That threw me off. Oh, yeah. that was
1: the trick. Yeah, you've never seen people do it in chronological order, and then like, oh, that's a bit of a sneaky one, two, three. Yeah.
2: I, I I'm an to, honest
0: person. I don't like to trick people.
1: That's that,
2: it. That's where my <laughs> doubt came in when, yeah, when it was in chronological I thought, like, oh, oh, who
0: knows? Okay.
2: But I think it's safe to say I was smart enough to avoid that pitfall.
0: Undeniable. Yep. Undeniable. <laughs> Congratulations, Jeeves, your first guest here, and you like aced it 100%. Yeah. How's I'm it not, feel? I think,
2: uh, yeah, you haven't really raised the bar for this segment, have you? Uh, no. Yeah, should've, we should have made it way harder. Oh, do you have another one? I'll I'll do it.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess so because you wouldn't have heard the beginning of this episode because it G- hasn't released yet. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, this one you have got to tell us the year. Oh, because that's gonna be way harder.
2: Oh, yeah, I'll have a stab in the dark.
1: What? That's literally what you're going to be doing because okay. it's about the finding of King Tut's tomb. So when did archaeologists find the tomb of King Tut?
2: Ah, as uh, every Australian knows. <laughs> <laughs> Um finding of king tut or tutankhamun that like how uh, how else i cuz i'm i'm not on a first name basis with him. Yeah. Um i i remember seeing photos of this. So it was definitely after the camera was invented. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay.
1: To like, to like 150 years or so. Yeah. yeah and,
2: right. and this is how you you narrow narrow it down so like So it's this.
1: after the 19th century. Okay,
2: yes. Yeah, so uh, within a, within about 150 years. How about 19 Twenty-two. Oh, 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 hey. oh
1: my God! <laughs> <laughs> so close. So close. Technically, you're half right because they found the opening of the tomb in 1922, where they found King Tut. <laughs> In 1923, I'm getting oh, that correct. Oh, that's correct in my books. Holy cow! Man, this, your questions seem to be harder. Up? Is this a stitch up? Like you've you've
0: aced every question.
2: <laughs> my oh, God,
0: oh, oh. have you got your own history podcast you're running
2: alongside? As no. Hey, look, know? Um, I've got to be honest. I'm just using all of the knowledge that I've known ever, and it's just deduction. <laughs> it's uh, that's how.
0: That's, that's, so you're drawing yeah. from your entire entire personal history to determine <laughs> oh, what absolutely.
2: happened in history. Yeah. Wow. I'm. Uh, Hmm, I'm, I'm impressed with myself. I've got to be honest with you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for this uh, opportunity, boys. No, so, no.
1: thank you, Jeeves. Thank you. Jeeves, thanks so much for joining us today. Did not expect you to get four from four and pretty much the exact date of Tune and Carmen. Um, Diles, do you have any shows coming up where people can see your hilarity?
2: Oh, uh, look, uh, I've got um, my Melbourne Comedy Festival show, which is, I mean, that's in April. And then... On uh, the um, last week of April, I've got my Sydney Comedy Festival show as well. So they're two different shows. Yeah, if you if you want to find out more information about um, what I'm doing or what I'm up to, I do a lot of um, online content as well for, uh, um, you know, YouTube sketches and that. So so that's, uh, yeah, you can go straight to my website, which is www.jeevesvirmer.com. Awesome.
1: Thanks, Jeeves. Uh, and we'll see you next week as we take you back to a time before you were born.
0: This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're gonna love.
1: Let's get real. Have you ever wondered why adults are so obsessed with Disney? I'm theme park journalist Carly Wiesel and on my new podcast, Very Amusing, I'm discussing every story, secret, and shenanigan I know to bring you an inside look at what's really... Going on there. From secret spaces like Disneyland's private $15,000 dinner to surprising celebrity hot takes, we're covering all of your curiosities. Subscribe to Very Amusing with Carly Wiesel now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST is
0: home to the biggest podcast from the US and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.